on the Crimson Tide Sports Network from Learfield IMG College. This is the Roll Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama athletics. Here's Roger Hoover. Hello again, everybody. I'm Roger Hoover, and we're glad you're with us for another episode of the Roll Tidecast. In this edition of the show, we catch up with the Crimson Tide's Director of Athletics, Greg Burke, as well as legendary Alabama gymnast, Deandra Milliner. In our first segment, I catch up with Greg Byrne, talking about life, work, and mask in the time of COVID-19. We'll start uh, very broad, we'll get a little more narrow as we go along, but in the last two months without a sporting event for the University of Alabama due to the COVID-19 pandemic, what has it been like for you leading this program? Well, there, there's certainly no uh, manual for it, just like there isn't for really anybody else uh, in, in most positions. Uh, it's, you know, it, it was interesting. I was talking to Regina, my wife, and uh, when we came back from Nashville after all this kind of happened, and uh, she said, man, we're going to have some free time. I said, well, I think so, because we're used to this time of year being, you know, this is actually, the spring is the busiest time of year for us because you have you know, baseball, softball, a lot of events, tennis, a lot of events. Uh, you have a ton of spring meetings, both SEC and nationally. Um, we have, uh, you know, commencement on campus. And so literally kind of get to the middle or end of June, hopefully. And, you know, the goal is to get to Omaha and baseball. So we want to be busy all the way till the end of June, 1st of July. And then you kind of catch your breath in July and get going for the next year. Well, it, it's amazing. I actually have found that my days are, are almost full, more full. Uh, it, than what they normally are just because the constant uh, meetings when you have 650 student athletes, you have 350 employees, obviously we're, we're, we're uh, uh, part of the, the university and the, that side of it. And then on top of that, a number of national things that we're involved with. So it's pretty much nonstop throughout the day. And, and uh, now I, I am at home at night, which is, which is really nice. I've probably spent more time with Regina in, in the last eight weeks than I have maybe, uh, you know, in, in, uh, in a lot of ways, it's their 26th anniversary tomorrow. So in some ways, and in, 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 thank you. In a two, in a two month period, I've spent more time with her than any two month period in our 26 years. That's for sure. And, and, and we're still speaking to each other and getting along. <laughs> she hasn't kicked me out of the house yet. So that's, that's a good thing. And I'm going to try to keep it that way. That's certainly good to hear, and congratulations once again. Uh, so with that, you're kind of adjusting to a new normal, and how much of your day right now is spent in front of a computer screen and doing a lot of online meetings and things like that? Pretty much the whole day. Very little face-to-face interaction. There's a few of us that are back at the office now, a small small percentage of our department, and uh, which is kind of the way it is on the campus as a whole. And and so even within the walls of, of, the Malmore, of Malmore, we... Uh, we still do a lot of meetings virtually to where, you know, some are at home, some are here. So, uh, you know, Jay Bat, for instance, from our staff is literally about um, probably 20 yards from me right now. And I think I've seen him once today. And that was and we both had masks on and trying to make sure we're social distancing and doing things the right way. We have very, very strict protocols about this and how we're doing it. You know, everybody that comes in is getting their temperature checked every day. Uh, we're trying to make sure we we are are doing everything we can to uh, do the right things here at Alabama Athletics. Wearing a mask is really important right now in our society, and a lot of people have probably been wondering, all right, I always show my Crimson Tide pride with a T-shirt or a hoodie or jacket, something like that. Now that's extending to mask, and even the mask that Alabama is using can help our student-athletes. 
Yeah, you know, it's been an interesting debate. One of the things that we try really hard here is to stay out of politics or to stay, you know, we're, we're one of the uniters that brings people together, and we want to make sure we recognize that. Roger, I can tell you I'm the farthest thing from a medical expert, okay? However, I can tell you uh, every day I've been trying to do a lot of reading, and, I've, and I try to do balanced reading to where listen to different sides, listen to different opinions, uh, obviously rely heavily on what the medical experts have to say. Uh, but it's it's been interesting. And one of the things that, you know, that you look at the countries who maybe have lower death rates uh, than what we have here in the United States um, that have, and you, you base off a percentage of population and all of those things, maybe don't have as many cases of COVID-19 based off of per capita. Um, you look and see who's doing testing at per capita and try to understand all those things. One of the things that's been interesting to see is the is the folks who who have used masks as as a, as a regular, very uh, diligent part of what they do. Their numbers are pretty good, and uh, and so I think we have an opportunity. You know, everything that Coach Saban and I've talked about, Greg Sankey, my fellow my peers in the league from an AD standpoint, is what can we do to give us the best chance to get to September, have a fall sports season. The importance of that for our student athletes they want to be here they want to they want to be competing okay but we need to make sure it's safe uh what what that's good for our department and our coaches our staff it's good for our fan base it's good for our community all those people together doing this in a safe manner has to be the driving force but what can we do to make that happen and i think masks are one of them it's, it, and, and again may, maybe this isn't exactly accurate okay i'm not claiming that this is 100 percent accurate but a couple different medical papers I've read, a couple of different very reputable articles that I've read has death rate in Japan about two to three percent of what it is in a lot of other parts of the world, including including the United States. What are they doing? Well, they're wearing a mask everywhere they go. And I think one of the, the things is is the reality is percentage wise, it's a very small part of the of the younger generation that that has significant health issues from this. There's no doubt that that is something that affects our older generations more so. However, the young people can still spread it, right? It's being asymptomatic and all those different things. Well, if, if it reduces uh, transmission by over 90%, if it lowers the death rate, those are all good things I think we can pay attention to. Um, and so what can we do to where everybody feels like, hey, this is, this is something I can do and I can be a part of, and that gives us the best chance to get to a fall sports season. That gives us a great, great chance to get our student athletes back on campus that gives us a great chance to have our student body back on campus but that's each and every one of us trying to do our part and actually I, I've, I've done a few different tweets and I actually lost track of professional wrestling when I was leaving <laughs> high school and Hulk Hogan and Macho Man and Andre the Giant those are my wrestling names I learned but then I found out Steve Austin which when I was a kid Steve Austin was the six million dollar man uh, he wasn't the uh, he wasn't a wrestler so the wrestler Steve Austin was out i guess he has a beer business and he's out delivering beer in los angeles he's got four million followers on twitter and he tweeted a picture of him wearing an alabama mask so i i retweeted that and tried to have some fun and we've actually got our own alabama masks that are about ready to go to retail i got one right here as display so you can uh, easily show your your allegiance to who it is i can tell you i've tried a lot of different masks this is a good one and it, it it's something that's pretty easy to use so i'm sure i regina said when i wear the mask that i've never looked better <laughs> so I, I try not to take that personally but uh but at the same time too we're trying to do the responsible thing here and 
each and every one of us have has that opportunity and i'm the only one in the office right now so when that's the case we don't wear them but when we bring other people in we make sure everybody's doing that right now certainly like to see that certainly hope that crimson tide fans will take advantage of that has steve austin replied back to you saying uh, he will take you up in your offer to attend a football game with him this year <laughs> i ha- i haven't seen i haven't been able to look at twitter since i sent that out so uh no idea the response to it but it'll be uh I, I mean, I looked, I was like, God, I think I've seen that guy before. And then I saw he had 4 million followers and did Matt self, our compliance guy is our resident professional wrestling expert. And so I'm, I, my days is the way it's gone. I haven't had time to, to reach out to him yet, but I can't wait to get the full report from Matt that uh, uh, what's happened from that. Let him know that, that Steve Austin is, a, is an Alabama fan. You know, who did text me though was Chris Stewart. And it was a great text that he had tonight. You know, Chris is, you know, kind of has that Dudley do right image and all American boy image. And, and Chris is a big wrestling fan who, who would have thunk, but I learned that through uh, uh, what Twitter provided us. Uh, going back to what you talked about earlier about uh, all of the uh, zoom meetings you've been a part of. I know one of the things you have done as well as you dropped in on some team meetings, just what's the team communication been like? What have you seen from Alabama coaches and players during this time? Yeah, our, our coach has done a wonderful job. Of, uh, of talking to our kids we have 21 teams we have 650 student athletes you know and and you know I'm, I'm i'm 48 years old and i still feel like i'm a you know 23 years old just from getting to be around all these young people on a daily basis um i had a uh, i had a zoom meeting with one just one-on-one with one of uh, the young women from our soccer team today just to talk to her about her career she just got an internship that she's really excited about and, and, you know, talking about what that practice looks like. And so it's something that, you know, been doing some individuals, talk to our student athletic advisory committee, talk to our, a lot of our teams, haven't been able to get to everyone, but quite a few of them, and just trying to engage. You know, right now, I think, Roger, I think people are looking for hope, right? They're looking for, there's obviously some very challenging and scary things that we're dealing with, whether it's a health standpoint, economic standpoint, mental health, um, you know, I, I think that the the domino effect from this is significant. And so what can we do to, to help serve everybody during this time is so critical. And part of that, a big part of that is our student athletes. Obviously, we want them to, to survive this academically. We want them to survive this athletically. We want them to survive this socially. Um, and, and we know if we do those things right, that gives us the best opportunity for all of us to get back together soon. As the SEC starts to take the next steps forward and try and map out what the future could look like, what can you tell us about some of the discussions you and your fellow athletic directors have had, as well as Commissioner Sankey? And what can you tell us as well about the leadership that Greg Sankey has provided the SEC over the last two months? Yeah, Sankey's been awesome. He really has. He's in a really challenging position. Uh, He's trying to balance, obviously, 14 schools and their presidents and their ADs and faculty reps and senior women's administrators and, and everybody through this process. And he Greg's a, a, a really good communicator, and, uh, you know, I, I, there isn't a week that goes by where I don't talk to him, you know, two or three times. you got 14 AD, so if everybody's doing that, that's, you know, that's 40 calls right there. Then on top of the presidents, that who he reports to, um, there's another 14 people there. And then on top of that, you got, uh, you know, he's talking to his peers in the Power Five. So he's done a really good job of managing the situation. We're lucky to have his leadership. Uh, I could tell you uh, from a from a uh, um, peer to peer where we talk to our athletic our peers regularly. Some of my, my best friends uh, are our peers at other institutions. Scott Strickland, the AD of Florida, and I are I think it's pretty well documented how close we are. Mitch Barnhart, 
who I worked for for seven years in Kentucky. You know, we 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 talk regularly as well, and you know, across John Cohen at Mississippi State, across the board, and so we're sharing ideas, we're sharing best practices. There's a collegiality here because we are all in this thing together. We need to figure out a way to all of us come back and have that opportunity. And so it, it, it's very, it's our, our focus here within our university, within our athletic department is Alabama, right? But then when we get those other calls, we're looking at it, okay, what what's right for everybody collectively to give us this best chance to come back. And you know, like I said earlier, sports is such a uniter. It's such a uniter. And let's, we all want this desperately. And through all of this, and again, the tough times that we are seeing uh, with the COVID-19 pandemic, what has encouraged you the most, especially when it concerns Alabama athletics? Uh, you know, I, I touched on it a little bit ago, but um, our, our kids, you know, our kids, our, our student athletes, our coaches, our staff, there's so many things that they're doing right now that doesn't get attention that, it's just really, it's really inspiring. Um, and, and so one of the things I challenged our staff, um, and I fall far short of this. Okay. But I'm, I'm trying to call three to four people a day. I may have said that on the town hall with Chris Stewart and just people who have made a positive impact on my life, people who I admire. Um, there's a media member who I've always admired from afar. I've never had any contact. He's not a, he's not a sports reporter. Never had any contact with him whatsoever, other than reading his his uh, his journalism and re- and listening to some podcasts he's been on. I tracked him down through a through a media contact I had, and I said, "I promise you, I'm, I'm not a creeper or anything like that." I just said, um, "You know, you, you, your work inspires me," and uh, and I think it's amazing. You know, I, I don't know. He, his response was really nice. It's just just this one. I. I, I I, I contact my old high school basketball coach who I hadn't talked to for years and years. And his son was one of my best friends growing up. And, and, and I just, I just said, you know, you know, thank you. And I, their responses, I seemed very genuine, made me feel better, you know, through that process. And so I've seen, I've tried to do it again. I fall far short, but at the same time too, I've seen our student athletes do that. I've, I've heard great messages from our coaches who have heard from their kids about the impact they make on their student athletes. Uh, I've I mentioned, I was talking to Casey Works from soccer this morning, talking about her career and where it's going. And, you know, and she, she's, she's remarkable. You know, she's had a couple of publicized knee injuries, so I can talk about it. And uh, what, she, you know, she's, I think she's graduated with her master's degree already. And, you know, she's about ready to set the world on fire. And, and, uh, and so I've heard the things that she's working on and things that she's doing during this time. And I, you know, I think, you know, one of the things I, I thoroughly believe everybody wants to feel valued. Every single person, I, 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 you know, we've all met people in some of the most challenging times of their life and they still want to feel valued. And so anything we can express and try to do for people to make them feel valued. You know, I'm going to say this in front. Roger Hoover is one of the best young broadcasters out there. Uh, He's got a bright future ahead of him. There's a reason why he is now full time with us. Now, he took over at a very challenging time, Roger, to where we brought you in. Right. That's right. Um, But but Roger's got a great future ahead of him, just like Chris Stewart has had a has you know, with everything that Chris has been through, the impact that he makes and the outpouring of support for him, he like gold. I can go down the list of all the people that, from a broadcasting stand, standpoint that make a great impact on our student athletes, on our athletic department, our university, and our community, on our fans. 
all those things. And so I've seen the outpouring that our staff, our coaches, our student athletes have been doing. A lot of them have been trying to, 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 to feed people who are in need and, and just little things that, you know, some of them have gone and packed lunches for, for people, uh, help serve at, at soup kitchens. Um, you know, that's inspiring because I really do believe, you know, that, you know, people want to do good. And so whatever we can do collectively to, to spread that message is, is a great thing for, for us. Well, Greg, thank you for your time today. And really on behalf of everybody with Crimson Tide Sports Network and Alabama fans that have watched this, just thank you for your leadership during what is certainly an unprecedented time and time that is hard to prepare for. But we certainly thank you for what you've already done and the steps ahead. So again, thank you for your time today. Appreciate the time, Roger. Roll tight, everybody. Stay safe and look forward to seeing everyone soon. As Greg said, there's no handbook for this, but we certainly appreciate the work that is being done by so many during such a different time for all of us. Next up, Roots Woodruff catches up with Deandra Milliner. She talks about a Crimson Tide gymnastics career that saw her win three national titles, as well as a post-Alabama career that has seen her tumbling on screens large and small as a stuntwoman, including working in a number of projects in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Deandra, it's good to talk to you. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, no no problem. I'm glad to be here. Uh, where is here for those uh, who, who don't know? Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, Georgia. Now, you're originally from Wichita, uh, Kansas, and then you mm-hmm. came to Alabama, and then uh, did you go straight to uh, Atlanta? Uh, I coached in Memphis for about five months before I moved to Atlanta. So, you know, somebody from Wichita, which is not the South, um, to you know those three places afterwards, what was that kind of transition like? Well, I mean, Wichita is the biggest city in Kansas, and it could just be that, you know, I was young and I couldn't really get out and do things by myself um, and explore too much. But I love the South. Um, You know, I loved Alabama, it being a college town and having never been in that atmosphere. um, I just loved the city and what everybody was about. It just seemed like the whole city was on the same page and um, moving to Memphis. I enjoyed my time there. I don't think I really had enough time there to to really experience much because I was coaching a lot, but I Atlanta has been my favorite place so far and I I could imagine myself living here for the rest of my life. Well, you definitely took some stepping stones, you know, uh, to Tuscaloosa to Memphis to Atlanta. That, that you you didn't go straight from, you know, small town Tuscaloosa to uh to big town Atlanta in one one fell swoop. No, definitely not. <laughs> Um, and you really were here at a time that was really pretty special in Tuscaloosa. Um, you know, you were part of, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but you were part of the 2011 and 2012 national championships. That was such a neat time. Uh, that, that, that second one was in Duluth. And then, you know, as a freshman, you win it in Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. So uh, closer to home uh, for you that, that, than, than most of our, our gymnasts at that point. It, it was really cool coming back here to Georgia and living here um, and going to event, events at the same venue that we won our championships at because, you know, every single time it just brings back those memories. Right. Um, what brought you to Alabama? I mean, you talk about when you got here, you really love the atmosphere and all that, but what, you know, what, what initially drew you from Wichita down to Tuscaloosa? Um, well, definitely recruiting. So I had been on a couple of other trips also uh, to some some awesome schools. Uh, and I took my recruiting trip to Alabama. And I mean, I think I canceled every recruiting trip after that, even before I'd been offered, just because I knew, knew I loved it and 
just on my visit, what made me choose Alabama was just that everybody made me feel like I was already part of the family and that the school was bigger and better than any other schools, the attitudes, the um, camaraderie, and it made me want to be better. And you you quickly joined us. Uh, did you commit in the fall and then join us in December, or did you commit the year before? Um, I did. I did my verbal commitment the year before, and then I um, signed fall of my senior year, and then came in. I think, or no, I signed in spring of my junior year, and then came in halfway through my senior year. Um, and, and really, you know, it, it's a cliche, but it's, it's really true in your point, uh, in your, in your case, you hit the ground running. I mean, literally mere days after you joined Alabama, you're running down the vault runway in Coleman Coliseum and hitting a vault. What was that um, like? I mean, it was, it was an awesome experience and I don't, I don't really remember, but I, I don't think I knew what to expect. Um, like I said, on my recruiting trip, I felt like I was already part of the family, but I know I went before I got to Alabama that uh, December, I know in the fall, I kind of went through a little bit of doubt and thinking that, you know, all my teammates are already there and, um, building those relationships and the trust, you know, that you need when you're on the competition floor. And so I remember being a little worried, uh, that, I wouldn't quite quite fit in and I wasn't sure how the competition season would go. Um, and I knew like once I got there, I just got into practice and practiced hard and they all accepted me, you know. And, and really uh, what I remember is you hit that vault and I think it went 9-9 or 9-9-2-5. And Sarah said after Sarah Patterson said afterwards, that was a 10 if I've ever seen one. <laughs> um, so you really, you know, you didn't dip your toe in, you, you got right to work and your class really had to, um, you know, Sarah also talked about your class in terms of there were classes that could come in and take their time and, you know, get used to it. And, you know, then midway through the season, they would kind of get worked in the lineup and, but your class wasn't one of those. We needed every routine from the get go. Um, did you feel that pressure? Did you even know? I don't think I felt the pressure uh, too much because there was so much support and it was just, you know, coming in and doing something that we had done for all of our lives, which is competing. Uh, it did take me a while, I think, to open up and come out of my shell performance wise. Uh, and Sarah and Dana, of course, pushed me on that and um, just continue to encourage that. So I think that's where I felt the most pressure was the, the competing was you know, same old, same old, you know, just get out there and do what you know how to do, do what you do in practice. But I think it did take the crowd of 15,000 people to come out of my shell and realize that it wasn't just competing, it was performing. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, as a vaulter, there's not a lot of performance in there. There's not a lot of, you know, showmanship. Uh, there's some, you know, to, especially when you landed and you know that you've got a great routine. Mm -hmm. uh, or a great vault, but um, you know you were you were a great vaulter from day one. But it's interesting because your freshman year, you actually earned all America honors on the balance beam. Did that surprise you? It actually did. So growing up, I was artistically like pointed toes, straight legs. That wasn't really my thing. Like I tried my hardest, uh, but it was just one of those things that didn't click for me. I had to work really hard at it, and I was never the best on beam. 
And my club coach, I know she didn't mean, you know, any harm by it, but she told me, you know, I don't want you to get your hopes up. You probably won't compete beam in college because of how many other amazing beam workers there were. And I think, you know, what got me there was just consistency. I may not have been the highest scorer always, but Sarah saw that, you know, I wasn't going to fall off that beam. <laughs> right. And, you know, you were part of a really amazing beam lineup that uh, that first year um, in 2011. I think it went 49-6 uh, on the way to winning that championship. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you may not have been by your own, you know, standard, the, the best in the, in the lineup, but that was a really hard lineup to crack. It really was. I mean, with, with beam workers like Ashley Priest and Gerald and Stacky and, and even as a freshman, Kim Jacob, I mean, we had some really amazing artistry and, and competitors on, on that event. You know, you guys roll into um, the 2011 SEC championships and it's in, uh, it's in Birmingham, right? In the 2011 or was that 2014? Uh, both, I think. Okay, so so, so I know you, 2014 you, was, but I think 2011 also was. I, I think you're right, and so you you roll into that one. Had you figured it out by then? I mean, you know, you've been there about two months. You um, had been through 10 or 11 meets, uh, but you hadn't been to a championship level meet yet. Was that scary? Um, I don't think so, honestly, because I I think. The whole season with such an amazing fan base and our crowd in Coleman Coliseum, I think that that just prepared me because, you know, I had one, never competed in front of that many people, obviously. So I think going through the whole season competing like that, but then also going to those other schools that were super competitive, like Florida, whose crowd is obviously cheering against you. Florida and LSU have super vocal crowds that are yelling at you while you're on beam. So I think just all of that led to us being pretty excited and, and confident going into uh, the SEC championships that year. Now, do I remember this right? You actually um, hurt your <laughs> eye <laughs> right <Yes>. before that? <laughs> yes. Uh, the day um, before we were supposed to travel, I scratched my cornea and had to wear an eye patch. And then – the day of the championships, uh, you're doing your floor routine. And I remember I, I was, I was looking down, I was, I was typing something and I, and I, from press row and I look up and you're just kind of looking around, but then you, you finished the routine and, and, you know, came off afterwards and you told us that you'd forgotten your choreography. You know, do you remember that? Do you remember the, the feeling uh, of that? Oh, 100%. Um, so what I remember happening is that I I had landed my double Arabian and I had either stuck it or stepped forward on the wrong foot. And I was such a consistent person that things had to be, you know, the same every single time. And just stepping onto that wrong foot, I was like, I don't know where my choreography goes now. Um, <laughs> and I had this like small moment of panic and I was like, what do I do? And then I was like, you know what? Catch up. Like here, it just, I was like, listen to the music. And I, in my head, just quickly remembered where I was in my routine. And I was like, okay, you just got to keep going because you can't stop. Um, I was so embarrassed, but you know, those, I think those moments are the moments that we learn a lot and, you know, you just have to persevere through them. 
Well, and you did, and and you know, for for our for our end, except for that that hesitation, it was just kind of like, hey, we've never seen this routine before, but it still scored well enough, and and and, and got us to the uh, the next event, and uh, and which was vault, and closed out on vault, and and won it going away, and that was the first uh, that was the first ring you earned. Uh, do you remember the feeling when Sarah came over to the corral? Because um, if I'm right, you guys had a buy you know, on the sixth rotation. So you mm-hmm. guys were sitting there waiting for the scores um, to know to know for sure. Do you remember yeah. um, Sarah coming over? I do. And I remember uh, because we didn't want to look at the score. We wanted uh, our whole theme that year was just to enjoy the ride. And so I remember us sitting in the corral kind of in a huddle to where like none of us could see the score. We were just focused on enjoying that moment and knowing that we did the best we could and Sarah coming over and telling us that we had won and all of us burst into tears and start hugging each other. Um, it, it was an awesome feeling and awesome knowing that after what had happened on floor, you know, that my teammates had my back and that we came through that. And that was the start of really, a, a, you know, probably one of the more special um, postseasons in school history because, you know, we had only we won. Four uh, NCAA titles at that point. Um, I think it was five, maybe six uh, SEC titles. But we had not won the SEC, the regional, and the national mm-hmm. title all in the same year since 1988. And yet, y'all go on to do just that. Um, you know, did you know in the moment how special it was? Um, I don't know if I knew in the moment how special it was at, in terms of like other teams having not done that or done that. But I do remember how special it was just going through those experiences with that team and these girls who, you know, at the beginning of the season, I wasn't sure that they would like me or accept me because I came in later than everybody else and didn't have that time with them. But it was just so special with having that feeling of going from club gymnastics where, you know, you're you're more competing for yourself to coming onto a team and all having the same goal and actually being able to accomplish that goal. Well, that's one of the things that Sarah talked about. And, um, you know, Kayla Hoffman, uh, you know, sealed the deal for us on, on floor, but the, the routine before that, um, she had fallen on beam and, uh, Sarah Patterson talks about her coming off. And I think it was Sarah DeMeo who's up next. And she basically looked mm-hmm. Sarah DeMeo in the eye and said, you got this. Um, and so it was, it was definitely a case of, everyone, you know, picking each other up and, and, and getting to where we wanted to be. Yeah. And that, I mean, I still look back at those moments and I miss, I miss having those girls in my daily life, you know, and in, in the workouts that I do now. And, um, you know, even, I even think about it every once in a while before I'm up to do a scene at work. Like I miss having those girls, you know, st- right there saying, you know, we got your back. You can do this. Um, we believe in you. And flash forward a year to, to 2012, Ashley Priest had not been able to be a part of that 2011 championship in terms of being on the floor. Um, she was overcoming some some offseason surgeries and whatnot on her ankles. And what was it like, you know, to know that, I mean, that was the closest NCAA championship, uh, you know, maybe ever. Um, three teams within like a tenth of each other going into the final final rotation. What was it like to see her go up there um, and know that she, you know, this was it. This was for, you know, the, the championship. Um, I mean, Priest was such a tremendous leader. Every, like every year I was on the team with her, even when she um, wasn't a senior, she was such a tremendous leader. And I think that we all had such confidence in her because 
she wouldn't be out there competing, um, you know, if she thought it would be detrimental to the team. She knew that she knew what we, she could do and we knew what she could do. So I think it was just a beautiful moment watching her, her complete that routine. And one of the awesome things that I still cherish is I have a framed picture that some, I don't even know who put it together, but it's, uh, all six beam workers on the beam in oh, various right. stages of their routines. And they did a poster. Just, I love, yes. Yeah, yeah. It was a poster. Um, and just looking at that and, and having that memory of priest doing that and going, I mean, she did it for her team. Not, it wasn't for herself. It wasn't selfish, you know, um, she was probably in, a little bit of discomfort or pain, but she went out there and put herself on the line for us. Oh, absolutely. It's interesting because Kayla um, Williams was in that um, lineup that year, the beam lineup and, and talk about another kid who came in as a, a tremendous vaulter. She'd been a world champion on the vault, but she was in that, uh, in that, in that beam lineup um, along with you. So, you know, a lot of vaulters turned uh, beam workers or, or beam stars, I should say, in that lineup. Um, yeah. The next year, you know, it's 2013 and, uh, you know, you, you've won two rings or three rings if you count the SEC championship in 2011, which we certainly do. But the next year in 2013, you decide you're going to go get one for yourself and win the vault <laughs> uh, title. Um, what was it like to, to go over the horse, uh, I'm sorry, the table and, and land that one? And I mean, did it feel different? It, okay, so the funny thing is, you know, after for for individual finals, you know, you go night one or you have practice day, then you have night one where you putting it all out there trying to get to super six, and then you give everything you have super six, and then you have one more day if you qualify for individual. And I think that day, all of us are really just running on fumes and out there trying to have fun and even supporting. Um, girls from other teams. And so I think it was almost a haze. And I remember I didn't stick that vault. I remember. Um, and I do remember being slightly disappointed in myself for that, but also giving myself the grace of, you know, I just competed two nights and had a practice day before that. It's, it's a big weekend, uh, full of events. And so it, honestly, it was kind of a haze, but I do remember being super excited. My, my parents are crazy fans and um, just my mom screaming from the stands. I think that's the one thing that I really remember most is my, my mom and my dad just screaming from the, from the stands. And you, cause you had been runner up the year before, so you've been close, um, but then to finally kind of turn mm -hmm. that corner and, and get the title. And then, you know, your senior year, um, you kind of bookend it with, a, with another SEC title. And this time, obviously, your floor exercise went um, went, went much uh, smoother. Um, you won the floor. You won the vault uh, with <laughs> nine nine seven five. Uh, so, just another big championship uh, run for you. Um, and, and to be able to close out as a champion, just the way you started, was that you know, and, and to do it with you know Sarah DeMeo and Kim Jacob and, and and that class, what was that kind of like for you? I feel like it was very nostalgic. Um because of how our first season had gone and the bond that our team had. And honestly, I felt like my senior year, every year I felt like the chemistry of the team grew. And I felt like our senior year, we had a really, really special team. Um, and so I think just to share that with them in, you know, the opposite position that we were in 
freshman year winning was really special to see, get to see um, like our freshmen win that championship for the first time and sharing that experience with them. I think that was also the year that uh, regionals were in Seattle. And I remember Sarah not really wanting to go back across the country um, for that regional, but you guys were so excited. Um, when, when the announcement came that we were going to Seattle, I, I remember that was probably the biggest cheer of any four years, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, announcement, um, that I can remember. It, was it those kind of moments where, you know, going as a team and, and being together and, and, you know, it's not just the time in the gym, is it? No, it's definitely not. Um, because at that point, you know, in the season with the new freshmen and, and everything, you've built the relationships to where it's more like a family vacation, you know? I mean, of course you're going to, to compete, but we're a family at that point. So I think that's how we looked at it, looked at it as, you know, we get to travel the country with, with our best friends that we consider family. And that was also what ended up being uh, Sarah's uh, thousandth win as a head coach. Uh, She got there faster than anybody else. Um, Did that even strike y'all? Did y'all even know? I don't, I don't know if we knew. I mean, I honestly don't, I don't remember. There were so many amazing moments that it's, it's sad because I was, I was thinking over all of this this morning and I was like, man, I really wish I would have kept a journal because there are moments that stick in your mind, but there are also so many little things that were so special that, you know, after time kind of just get lost. Well, I I will, I will share with you that Sarah didn't know. But, uh, and then, you know, uh, it, it, it goes by in a flash. I know, um, it, it's, you know, 2011, 2014, and all of a sudden you're, you're, you're graduating. What's interesting, that class, like I said, you know, uh, Kim, Sarah, and, and you were all, all Americans. You were all, um, you know, in the hunt for national titles. Uh, Kim won one in the all around as a senior. You won, uh, mm-hmm. in the vault and Sarah DeMeo, you know, had her best meet. Um, of her career, the last night of her, her of, of her career at uh, at the national championships, and all three of you end up earning uh, an NCAA postgraduate scholarship. Um, so you weren't just getting it done in the uh, in the gym. It was it was a really impressive class, and you graduated with a degree in health science. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, did you know what you wanted to do after that? Did, did did you you know take off the cap and gown and go straight into the career? So I did know what I wanted to do. Uh, I think it was around the end of my junior year that I decided. Um, I mean, of course, school was still super important to me. And I even took classes that were beyond what my major required. I took extra anatomy and chemistry classes um, because I thought I wanted to be a dietitian. But at somewhere around the end of my junior year, I think it was... Um, that year that I saw a video of another former uh, collegiate gymnast and it was like a promo for a new movie that she was doing. And immediately in that moment, I was like, I know what I'm doing after, after I graduate. And that was it. Yeah, that was it. And I, I felt kind of crazy sharing that with people because it's like, I mean, how many people really can break into the movie business and, it all, it sometimes almost seems like a far-fetched, like you're running off with the circus or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just had this confidence in this, uh, you know, piece that that's what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, 
and you obviously have been successful at it. Um, you, uh, you graduate, uh, you, like you said, you coach some in Memphis and then you moved to Atlanta right around the time. I, if I, if I, if I have my timeline right, that, uh, the, um, Marvel Cinematic Universe is really starting to, to, to ramp up and you're in Atlanta where they film a lot of those, uh, movies. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your first, uh, and, and I guess we should back up and tell people, uh, you, you, you became a stunt woman. Yeah. And, uh, and you're in uh, SAG-AFTRA, which, what, what is that? Explain that to us. Um, that's the union that uh, actors and stunt performers are uh, in. And really, to work any big productions, they're all SAG-AFTRA productions. You have to be, um, you have to qualify to be in the union. And I, I know it's a big deal to get your SAG card. I, you know, that, that first gig they get where they, I think for actors, you have to have a speaking line or, or something like that. There's, there's, mm-hmm. There are... Uh, things that you have to do. Um, wh- what? Where? Wh- when did you get your SAG card? Um, so when I moved to Atlanta, I got really lucky, and I started going to this class. It was a Filipino martial arts class, and the instructor was a guy that had been in the business for twenty years, and it was it was just a crazy coincidence that I just kept coming to the class, and all of a sudden he was like, "Hey." you really remind me of my younger sister. I have this group that does extra training kind of on the side, you know, um, would you like to come join us? And so I was like, I mean, that's what I'm here for. So why not? Um, and he actually was the one that they call it tafting. He tafted me on a small, uh, web series that he produced. And that was the first one. That was, that was the first one. Yes. And I mean, I didn't even really, I did one, one fall, you know, flat on my back for that. Um, but yeah, that was, that was the first one. And I was kind of addicted. <laughs> well, yeah, you go from, uh, you know, a sport where you're trying everything you can not to fall, uh, to falling on purpose uh, for a living. I'm sure that was <laughs> a transition for you. What was your first big, big moment? What, what was your first uh, movie? Um, so my first big movie was Neighbors 2, Sorority Rising. Um, and that was shot here in Atlanta. And I think like the moment that it actually became real to me was the first day I was, um, my call time was pretty early and I get in the hair and makeup trailer and they're like, okay, you can sit right here. And it was right next to Zac Efron. You're probably growing up watching. <laughs> Oh yeah, for sure. High school musical and all that. Um, and I just was almost in awe cause I was like, well, well, what do I do? And he actually said good morning to me and was like, you know, good morning. How's your day going so far? Um, and I was just kind of like shell shocked. And I was like, I didn't know if it was okay to speak to him. I didn't know what to do. Um, <laughs> so it was, it was definitely, uh, a another, really exciting moment. Another trial by fire. Uh, they just kind of dumped you right in there. Oh, for sure. Um, for sure. I, I remember somebody describing another stunt performer I'm friends with now. He was pretty experienced at the time. And he was like, yeah, you just looked like a deer in headlights <laughs> the, whole, the whole time. <laughs> well, it's definitely a whole new world. And um, speaking of worlds, you, you um, worked your way into both the Marvel universe and the DC universe, um, having worked in, in films for both. Um, what was it like uh, to uh, to be in some of those? Really, they've become iconic movies. You know, you were in uh, 
Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Did, did you know beforehand? Did you know uh, about the snap um, from shooting the movie or were you as surprised as everybody else? I didn't. They keep it so tight-lipped that, I mean, some of the the main characters, I mean, Tom Holland, uh, Robert Downey Jr., all of them, they don't even know sometimes what they're filming until like the day before or the day of. Um, so they keep it really locked up um, with all of that, all the information. And you actually got to do some acting, I think. And was it an end game where you were one of the, the warriors in the final fight scene? I was. Uh, you can't, I mean, because there are so many, so many people, you can't really make me out. Uh, we're all just running and fighting. And, but it was, it was a pretty awesome experience because I got to be there the day that they finally, that, uh, Chris Evans, who plays Captain America, said Avengers Assemble. And that was honestly one of the coolest moments. That's so fun. Uh, now, is it true that uh, Tony Stark, a.k.a. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., uh, pushed you down uh, in uh, Infinity War? <laughs> uh, so he actually helped okay. me out. So it was my job to fall down. And what ha- what the scene was is this big um, scene in New York where – the people are running and I trip and fall and Robert Downey Jr. helps me up. And the whole reason that I was there, it was choreographed because right when he helps me up, a car crashes into a pole that is right next to us. So it was my job to be between him <laughs> and that crash so that he would be safe. So, so you were a human shield, as it were. Yes, I was. And he made made some good jokes about it. But uh, at the same time, I remember before. We started the scene. He was like, you know, let's just make sure that we both get home safe today. And that was really cool. Um, outside of the Marvel movies, uh, you've also um, done some TV work. You were in a, we were talking about this earlier. You were in a show called Kevin Probably Saves the World. Um, or was it Universe? He saved mm-hmm. something, um, which is <laughs> much more of a uh, comedy drama. You know, it's, it's one of those. And I don't think it's one of those shows that you really think that there's going to be a need for stunts, but I guess every show has something. Yeah, they really do. I mean, even if it's just safety for the actor, like to be there in case they're uncomfortable with something to show them how to do it. Uh, or, I mean, I know one of the scenes in Kevin Probably Saves the World, I was just standing on the edge of a three-story building, whereas they didn't want the actress up there because of safety, you know. So it sometimes is, is just that or running because some, you have to do scenes over and over and over and over again. They can't run, you know, and do their lines and keep the wardrobe fresh and all of these things. So we're just there a lot of the times to assist in that. Um, what, what do you love about it? Because it's obvious just, just hearing you talk about it that you do love it. Uh, I think it's, it's almost the same as gymnastics. You know, you get in the gym and you train and you train and you train which I love, but then you get to go out and perform and showcase, you know, what you've been training. And, uh, and you've obviously been working, like I said, you know, you were also in Thor Ragnarok, um, which is one of my favorites, uh, Spider-Man Homecoming, um, <laughs> uh, you know, Black Lightning, which is, uh, um, is that, that's a, a Netflix show, isn't it? Um, it's on the, C- uh, it CW. Comes on the CW. Okay, that's right. But but it's also yeah. on. I think they're they're showing it on Netflix uh-huh. as well. And you've been in a lot of uh, superhero movies. And what's next for you? I think it'll just depend. You know what picks back up 
when when filming starts you know black lightning was renewed for another season and um, i double one of the main characters on that so last year i was on that for eight months out of the year so i think it'll just depend on what productions decide to start back up and when because it's kind of i mean i have that because i was already a double on that as an option but you know it it's just who calls first right. so if I were to get another call for something else and, and I'm available, then I kind of just go uh, where where the wind blows me uh, sometimes. Is that part of the appeal is that every day is kind of different? I definitely think it is because I don't think I would last at a day job where I was just sitting at a desk doing the same thing. It's It's nice also because, you know, there are times when you're like, well, I've been working for eight months and I need a couple of weeks off. Obviously, you're not being paid during that time, but... You get the freedom of, I think I'm just going to take a couple of weeks off, go on vacation before I start ramping back up again and, and getting back to work. And a series is, you know, it is a lot more intensive in terms of the, the, the amount of time. But um, how long does it usually take you? Like, you know, when you were working on Endgame, was that a couple of days? Was it a couple of months? Um, Endgame, it was a couple of weeks here and there because I wasn't you know, uh, on that full time. Well, nobody, uh, nobody was, so it just depends <laughs> that on, was, a, that, there was a yeah, lot of different no, themes no. <laughs> and a lot of different places, but, but so the, mo mo mostly movie works so, is, is, you know, a week here, a week there. Yeah. It, I mean, it just depends all, obviously it's kind of like whenever I'm on black lightning, some people are the main doubles on those bigger movies. And so they will be there all the time. Um, but then you kind of just have stunt performers that they need for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. So I think I did a couple of weeks on that here and there while working other things in between. Is it a little confusing sometimes? You know, like, okay, who am I today? Um, I don't I wouldn't say confusing. I would say it's kind of exciting, yeah. you know, going from went from being a superhero for Black Lightning and we ended that in January and then I went I went from that to, to doing a comedy that's gonna um air on Quibi this summer. And it was it's just interesting going from one thing to the next every day. It's kind of Kind of right. fun. That's awesome. Well, Deander, we appreciate your time and roll tide. Roll tide. Thank you. Protecting Tony Stark, a.k.a. Robert Downey Jr. in one scene and fighting along Captain America in another, Deander has certainly enjoyed an acting career since graduating from the capstone. Well, that's a wrap for this edition of the podcast. We hope you enjoy the Rolled Tidecast, and we thank you for spending some time with us. Please subscribe, rate, and review, and let us know the things you would like to hear in the future. And now, we leave you with this Crimson Tide moment from head coach Nick Saban. But I want everybody here to know, this is not the end. This is the beginning. This has been the Rolled Tidecast, the official podcast of Alabama Athletics. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review however you listen. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Crimson Tide Sports Network.